Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And we're having a great time talking about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but mostly Star Wars. (laughs) 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 All right, you guys. So sometimes marriage is about laughing and about just, you know, having inside jokes. And we're just going to let you know this has been a really trying time for us with everything going on in the world. And, you know, we've been at home together for three weeks uh, Which has been great. It, it has been great. That's a good answer, Kevin. That's um, right. But sometimes that means that uh, things just get a little bit more real than you were planning for. And I, I think that's, you know, we're rolling with the punches. And, you know, I think everyone is with us when I, I say it, it's been emotional and it's been challenging. Um, my introvert is loving being at home. But, you know, the rest of me is feeling all the feels for everything going on and you know Kevin you're an extrovert so this is challenging in a different set of ways yeah it turns out for an extrovert zoom meetings are not nearly as satisfying as a live audience yeah but you still do have an audience so that's good right yeah a little bit yeah and and for the like 25 of you downloading our pod thank you very much that that's helping Kevin as well yep that's been great (laughs) all right so this is our podcast about love marriage and Star Wars but mostly about Star Wars we ready to get into it let's do it let's do it all right so we are at a force awakens aka a new hope 2.0 or a new hope for millennials or what else could we call it yeah, I think that's about covers it. And just to be clear, we're not, this is no, no, don't okay boomer us. Or this isn't millennials in any sort of derogatory way. It's just, this is the first Star Wars movie for kind of the millennial generation to really fully appreciate. And, and I think it has a lot of sort of thematic and cultural elements that resonate a little bit better with um, people who grew up in, you know, from the, the mid eighties or the 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 late 80s through the 90s than it did for the people from the 70s up to 80. Right, right. And the other thing is, is that this movie, I really do think, tried to appeal to both millennials and Gen Xers. And, you know, I not being a boomer, I won't speak for them. But, you know, I I did hear that some of them enjoyed this movie, but maybe didn't uh, feel as excited to watch it as, as other generations did but let's get into it so here we are um like we said we think that there's a lot of similarities to a new hope so we'll kind of you know touch on those as we get to them but it's another three-act play uh in our eyes anyway uh the beginning is the introduction to the new characters we learn about the good guys we learn about the bad guys act two uh we we kind of just have a lot of filler a lot of backstory um, just kind of round out the, the cast of characters and, and set the plot for the final battle, which is Act 3, and that's the Battle of the Starkiller Base. So, And then there's not quite a fourth act, but a little bit that we'll touch on, and Kevin will share his feelings about that and let you guys know what he thinks should have really happened. And so let, let's get into it with Act 1. We're on Jakku, Kevin. Yeah, Jakku. Hey, we're starting the movie on a desert planet, which is original. Or not. Or 2.0. Or 2.0. Uh, yeah, so the opening line of this movie is delivered by um, Lore, what's his name? Uh, Lore Santeca. Yeah, Lore Santeca, who is an older guy, a member of the Church of the Force, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, and his opening line is, um, this will begin to set things right. And if you take yourself all the way back to when this movie was made prior to this, the the last Star Wars content that most people saw were the prequel trilogy, which of course were not well received. And so this was, you know, sort of a little tongue in cheek moment um, 
that this trilogy was going to be something different. And to be fair, it is, mostly. Two-thirds of it are. It's all new characters, basically. It is all new characters. Um, but uh, basically, um, he's got a, he has a piece of a map to find Luke Skywalker, who, as we learn in the opening scroll, has disappeared, and uh, everybody's trying to find him. The bad guys are trying to find him to kill him. The good guys are trying to find him to recruit him, and he is off in some place that is unfindable. Uh, so the map is given to um, our first hero that we meet, Poe Dameron, and Poe is a funny guy. Like, his whole shtick is that he's funny. Yeah, he's sarcastic. He's a funny guy. He's the Chandler Bing of uh, of our Star Wars universe. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that the comic relief in the original trilogy were the droids, and, and now we've got the comic relief in human form. So I, I don't know if that's a generational thing, but it is a transition. It is. Um, and so, uh, just as he receives the map, uh, some first order folks arrive and I guess the first order is the new empire. Um, they land in, uh, you know, they, they land on the, the planet Jakku with a, a group of stormtroopers. Um, this is a J, this is the first JJ Abrams film and he definitely JJ's it up in that landing sequence with a little shaky cam, some, uh, blackout effects, uh, all those kind of things that are, are very trademark. JJ, there's a lot of lens flare in this movie. He actually admitted that he has too much lens flare in this movie. And when he did uh, episode nine, he cut back on the lens flare, which was nice. Um, but uh, we meet uh, the new big bad, which is uh, Kylo Ren. Right. So what we see at the beginning, you know, Lor Santeca is giving this map of how to get to Luke Skywalker to Poe Dameron and basically saying we're going to make things right. We learn that Lore has met uh, Leia before and he calls her a princess and, you know, um, Poe calls her the general. So we learn that we're, what are we, like 25 years after the fall of the Empire? Something, something like, like yeah, that. Yeah, 25, 30 years. Something yeah. Like that. yeah. And, and poor Leia has not gotten a break. She's still fighting. So that's tough. Yeah, it, it would appear that, you know, in just in the backstory in those 30 years, the Empire fell. Um some sort of new republic was formed. Leia was a, probably a member of the new republic government at some point, but then for some reason, a little splinter group called the Resistance broke off from the new republic to fight this new sort of post-imperial uh, fascist organization called the First Order, and she ends up being a general in the in the Resistance. So now she's part of the legitimate government, but also still fighting as a rebel, which is just just a rough draw for her, really. Right, right. She She's had a hard life. And so anyway, we know that Lord Santeca knows Leia from uh, way back when. And Poe's there with his droid named BB-8. He's a little snowman guy. He's kind of orange and white. I like him quite a bit. He reminds me of a puppy. Yeah, and, and this is a an interesting kind of new droid relationship. We sort of saw, you know, C-3PO is like the annoying butler kind of droid. We've seen R2-D2 as sort of the, the little like technocratic buddy who has a lot of personality, but is definitely like Luke and Anakin both treat R2-D2 almost as a like a person. Um, BB-8, you start from the very beginning. Um, Poe in particular and, and some other characters treat him more like he's more like a dog. Right, right. He, he, he's the puppy of the show. He is. So, yeah. But it, anyway, so he's got uh, the map to Luke Skywalker and is going to give it to Poe. And, you know, 
there's this parallel to the beginning of A New Hope where Leia gets the plans on how to destroy the Death Star and she's putting them into R2-D2, giving the message, you know, to Obi-Wan that he's their only hope. And so it's very similar, except uh, now it's, you know, um, two guys fighting the the good fight, putting it in our little snowman BB-8. So, uh, you know, as Kevin said, Kylo Ren appears and what kind of terrible villain is he he really and i this is not entirely apparent in the first scene although it's pretty bad he's kind of the in my opinion anyway and this goes through the whole trilogy he's just the worst bad guy when you when you first see darth vader darth vader you know there's a there's a shootout on the tantive four and after the smoke clears darth vader you know the stormtroopers have fought the rebels the rebels have fought the stormtroopers the rebels have retreated in the ship and darth vader appears and these stormtroopers are like checking on their fallen comrades snap to attention and this dark menacing figure really good background music appears in the doorway and you're like that guy's bad and then the next time we see him he's literally picking a rebel officer up by the throat and crushing his throat while he interrogates him because he wants to know where the plans are um and you compare that to sort of Kylo Ren, he comes down off his ship, he confronts an old man who knows who he is and says, I'll show you the dark side. And then like force chokes him. And it's no, he or, slices, no, him, he slices with him with a lightsaber, lightsaber, which is even worse. Like, it's just I don't know. It's just sort of a it's a very weak introduction. Um, the only thing strong about his introduction is then Poe tries to shoot him with a sniper rifle and he stops a blaster bolt in midair with the force, which is kind of badass. But he's he's just a he's just a weak sauce bad guy. Right. And we'll talk about it some more as to what I think his true drive is coming from. And it's not the dark side of the force, but we'll get back to that. So Kylo Ren appears. He kills Lor Santeca. He takes... Uh, Poe into custody but just before that happens you know uh BB-8 gets the plans and he's you know he or not the plans he's got the map to Skywalker and so then there's a whole bunch of stormtroopers on the ground and they're in the small village that you know basically at this point no one in the village can provide anything useful to the first order but what does Kylo Ren tell them to do anyway so he orders Captain Phasma who's another new character that we meet Captain Phasma she wears um shiny silver chrome stormtrooper armor i saw something written once that it may have been made from uh padme amidala's ship and it was a gift to her from somebody who got it from the emperor but that may be made up that sounds made up um but uh he orders the stormtroopers to kill all the villagers and one stormtrooper fn2187 hesitates Right, and, and so we'll wind up calling him Finn. He hesitates. He's just like, wait, I'm a soldier, and I'm cool with, you know, like, following orders and marching in alignment with everyone else. I'm not super cool with just mur- murdering villagers. So he starts getting that, like, weird panic look, and Kylo Ren sees it as well as uh, um, Phasma sees it. But, you know, he basically gets told to go back to the ship and get reprogrammed and all that good stuff so um yeah so kylo ren takes poe and is gonna interrogate him yeah and so poe's you know taken back to his ship meanwhile bb8 again in a in a strong parallel to uh, a new hope sets out across the desert alone um and somewhere in the morning he get he runs into um a scavenger who tries to capture him, and another scavenger who we meet just before this uh, rescues him. Who's that? 
that's Ray. So that's our hero here. And this is uh, very similar to how we met Luke Skywalker's. We're introduced to Luke because they're going to go get droids. We're introduced to Ray because she's adopting a droid, basically. That's right. Yeah. What's what's Ray's last name? Uh, we don't know that. Indeed. Right. Was that a trick question? It was. I was it to see trying it. to get me to spoil this? Yeah, I wanted to see if I could just get you to do it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to keep it tight here. Yeah. So. All yeah. right, let's Still get back to it. <laughs> okay. So Ray's on a desert planet. There's a parallel to how we meet Luke. And then basically she's been just all by herself for we don't know how many years. She's been counting. Uh, she carves each day on the wall of the, the cave that she lives in. Basically. She actually lives in a downed Adat. If, you, uh, when, if, you, if you've ever noticed when it pans oh. out. Yeah, so the sort of opening scene for her, she's a scavenger. So there apparently had been a big battle on Jakku. There were several downed Star Destroyers. She works for a guy named Unker Plot, who, uh, you know, buys scavenged material from a variety of people on Jakku. And she goes into the Star Destroyers and she finds valuable bits and then she sells them for food. And when she goes back to her home, uh, her home looks like a big metal cave. But then when she's sitting outside kind of eating her food, she's sitting in between the legs of, a, of an Adat. She lives in a downed Adat. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. sad and cool at the same time. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so she's uh, adopted a new droid and, uh, you know, we kind of got to go back to our, our new friends, Poe and Finn. Um, Poe is not strong with the force and is not able to resist any kind of torture and mind control devices that uh, Kylo Ren in implores on him. So basically, you know, he gives up the fact that the uh, map to Skywalker is in a droid uh, BB-8. And so, you know, at that point, Kylo Ren puts all of his forces to find that droid. And at the same time, Finn realizes that he can't stay as a stormtrooper and he's got to get the heck out of Dodge. The only problem is he doesn't know entirely how to do it and he thinks that he might need a little bit of help, but he specifically needs someone to fly him off where he's at. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a lot of characters in Star Wars seem to have a variety of random skills. It seems like everybody who's like on the, um, especially the rebels and the smugglers are at the same time like sharpshooters and thieves and can break into places and can stealth and can repair starships and can repair ground ships and can fly anything. And Finn can't do anything. All he can do is shoot a blaster. And so he grabs Poe and says, hey, Poe, can you fly us out of here? And Poe's like, yeah, I can fly anything. I fly X-Wings so I can fly a TIE fighter, which is nonsense, really. TIE fighters are super different from X-Wings, but that's okay. Um, is it like fl flying X-Wings and TIE fighters versus stick and automatic? Or is it like driving a car versus driving a tank? I would say it's kind of like driving a car versus riding a motorcycle. Like if you can drive a car, you can kind of understand the general principles of riding a motorcycle. But it's very, very different. Like the throttle's in a different place, right? The, yeah. the brake's in a different place, right? And so like the concepts of go, stop, turn apply on both but like the way that you do them is completely different a tie fighter both from like the control layout and also just the flight characteristics of a tie fighter are so different from an x-wing that it it kind of doesn't make sense that one could and one has to be super talented to be able to fly both but you know poe seems to be super talented so that's great finn really can't do anything other than escort him to the tie fighter and even when they're in there 
Poe, you know, tries to tell him how to use the cannons on the TIE fighter, and Finn seems sort of confused by this. Eventually, he figures it out, but it's just kind of interesting that Finn, and, and I think this is an artifact of stormtrooper training, he knows how to do exactly one thing, and that's be a stormtrooper and nothing else. Seems like everybody else in Star Wars can be kind of whatever you want them to be. Right, and just to give everyone a little bit of a background as to these stormtroopers. So we knew the way back when the clones, they were, you know, all clones, but, you know, were the stormtrooper guard, basically. But this generation of stormtroopers that we're meeting, they were taken from their children, from their parents, and they were raised to be stormtroopers from the time they were kids. And to the best of our knowledge, they weren't age accelerated like the clones were, and that, you know... I I don't entirely know why they did it this way instead of having a draft, but it kind of seems like, you know, what we saw in Solo with like the open enlistment, you know, you got a lot of deserters and, you know, maybe not the best soldiers, so... Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think it just sort of points to, you know, sort of how nefarious the First Order is that they're going snatching babies and turning them into stormtroopers. That's pretty, that's pretty evil. Yeah, but kind of the Jedi, that's what they did. They, they took kids and said, yeah, no, if you're going to become a Jedi, you're not going to stay with your family and have attachment. Yeah, oh. that's, that's an indictment of the Jedi Order to some extent, isn't it? It really is. You, you, you guys can't see Kevin's face right now, but he's putting two and two together and seems really torn about this. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, Let's so, get back to it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they do steal a TIE fighter and get out of there. Um, you know, what's interesting in their escape, Finn does just sort of open fire on his, you know, people who were his comrades. But five minutes ago, he just he has no compunction against blasting them in order to facilitate his escape. And then they fly around for a while. And Poe says he has to get back to Jakku to find a map in a BB unit that leads to Luke Skywalker. And for some reason, Finn has heard of Luke Skywalker. So, I mean, I guess he's super duper famous. So that's not, I guess, a a total surprise. But you would think that a stormtrooper who was raised as a stormtrooper his whole life would would not know that. But long story short, they get shot down. They crash on Jakku. Finn wakes up and doesn't find Poe near him. He finds the ship. The ship sinks into the sand and explodes. And so Poe's kind of on his own now. Right, and he does manage to take, or no, Finn, Finn's, Finn's, on, Finn's yeah. on his own now. Finn does manage to take Poe's jacket, so they, he's wearing parts of his Stormtrooper outfit, and he's wearing uh, Poe's jacket as kind of a cloak to protect him from the hot desert sun, and, you know, he is, he's in a bad way, you know, he, he's pretty thirsty. Yeah, and coincidentally, they crash land on a planet within walking distance of the place that Ray and BB-8 end up, which is, that's good luck. Um, and he sort of staggers through the desert and he finds Nima Outpost where um, where Ray and BB-8 are turning in their day's uh, haul of, of salvage things. And um, he sees uh, a couple of guys try to beat up Ray and try to take BB-8 from her. And she whoops him with um, a pole that she that she carries and is obviously trained as a weapon. Right. And one of the things interesting is that um, is that uh, she is, you know, trying to trade in all of the things that she's uh, found and gets, you know, way less portions than she would have otherwise gotten last week or whatever. But when the guy that she's trading with sees the BB-8 unit, basically he's like, oh, I'll give you a whole year's worth of portions for that droid. 
And she said, no, he's not for sale. And you can tell she's conflicted because she's like, wow, I won't ever be hungry. That would be fantastic. But then she's also kind of like, wait, something's afoot. That wouldn't be right. And the fact that she immediately goes to doing the right thing, you know, makes us know that she's the right hero for the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's right. And it also turns out she's the first person in the galaxy to be uncomfortable with somebody buying someone else. That's a really good point. No one else has been upset about this in the past. No, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast several times, and we've even commented to each other on things we haven't talked about on this podcast yet, um, where people just seem really, really comfortable with, with slavery and buying people and owning people or owning droids and the way people treat droids. And this is sort of the first person in the galaxy we've run into that seems uncomfortable with the ownership notion and the fact that just because this droid is nearby her, she can sell it. That's not her place. Right, and and she didn't like the idea that someone else was trying to just take up this droid either. So, yeah, th- this is finally the first person that we we see through all of the galaxy who's just like, no, this isn't okay. Yeah, it's about darn time, actually. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh. So, Finn runs into her. Runs into her. Ultimately, BB-8 identifies the jacket and says, "This guy stole the jacket from my my guy Poe." And so Ray, you know, beats up Finn. She likes beating people up. She's pretty good at it, too. So she beats up Finn and accuses him of being a thief. And he says he is with the resistance and he's trying to get back to their base and, and or, or something. And just as he and and Ray are talking about that, the First Order shows up. They seem to show up in just at the nick of time all the time to, to ruin conversations. And they launch a ground and air offensive against them and chase them off to the nearest spaceship, which happens to be... The Millennium Falcon, which yeah. is actually Plan B. They wanted to get a different one. She originally calls the Falcon a hunk of junk, but then uh, their desired... Uh, ship that they're going after gets blown up and she's like let's go to the junk let's give it a go and so that's where they are and one of the things i'd like to point out since we do sometimes talk about relationships is that uh it is really weird because finn keeps like trying to grab her hand and she's just not comfortable with it and i think it's really interesting that he immediately wants contact and intimacy and she continues to want isolation she's been in isolation for years and years and years and he's been part of like a whole group think organization so they're they're both going towards what they know and instead they get stuck together yeah i think that is interesting it also seems like for some reason he's trying to be chivalrous he seems like i mean he's he like he got knocked out and then when he comes to he asks her if she's okay and she seems bewildered by this he wants to like take her hand and lead her i find it and i think that this is just sort of a um, more of a movie thing than a than a star wars thing of that it's some sort of commentary on like reverse chivalry and you know and and how that's something something whatever but i don't understand how he would ever know that like he would never know this right why would he ever have learned about like you know treating others in this way if he grew up as a stormtrooper so it just feels like it i agree with you on your characterization of the relationships it also just feels like a weird forced thing in here um that it's it's an overwrought making a point i i agree and we'll get to more of the things that seem kind of forced later but yeah so basically they take off in the millennium falcon and they're trying to get away and then uh the ship's still kind of busted and so they can't go into hyper space and basically wind up getting sucked into another ship that's right and at first they think it's the first order that found them 
And as the, you know, this other ship sort of overtakes them, docks with them, and a couple of people turn up on the ship, it's uh, Han and Chewie. And first thing Han says is, Chewie, we're home. Yeah, and welcome to Act 2, everyone. So, yeah, this is great because this is our tie to the original trilogy. This is our tie to the entire galaxy as we know it. And, you know, Han, I think, has a different role in this movie than he's had in other movies. And I, I would like to basically say he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi at this point. Yeah, that's right. I mean, his point on the show is to be sort of the elder who explains the nature of the universe, who explains both to the audience and to the characters, sort of the state of the universe, what's going on, the important parts, what matters. And that's exactly sort of what he does in this first scene. So he's sort of walking around looking at the Millennium Falcon. They find um, Finn and Ray sort of hiding out in one of the, the maintenance holds. And he starts interrogating them about what's going on. And uh, Ray reveals that she has a map to Luke Skywalker. And, and that sort of that sort of triggers him. Um, he, you know, he tells them that he's Han Solo. And she's like, wait, you're real? Like, you're the, the, the general or the smuggler? And Chewbacca's like, yeah, we're both. It's great. Um, and she's like, wait, this is the Millennium Falcon? The one that did the Kessel Run in 14 parsecs? And then Han Solo's like, oh, no, 12 parsecs. 12, yeah, yeah. Which... To, to point, I got that wrong last couple weeks ago. Uh, I pointed that out. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, and so she mentions Luke Skywalker, and she said she says, you know, is, is this real? And he says the Jedi, the, the Force, all of it, the light side and the dark side, it's all real, which he says that standing in the exact same spot where he said to Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, that he doesn't believe in a bunch of uh, hokey tricks and, and magic or something, right? So he's really come around on the Force. Um, and he explains to them that all of this stuff is real. He looks at the map that BB-8 has, realizes that it's incomplete and it won't help them, um, and then agrees to take them somewhere where um, they can get back to the Resistance. He himself is not interested in going back to the Resistance, but he said he'll help them find their way there. Right. And unfortunately, what we learn is that Han is back to his old tricks. And um, unfortunately, there are these things called Wrath Tars that are stuck on the the smuggling ship that he's on. These are these massive. Uh, they're angry balls. Things. I don't know. They're, yeah. they're very deadly. I don't know why you would smuggle them, but he's smuggling them. And he used to have a crew, but that's he lost his crew to picking up these Wrath Tars. And he's a. He also owes some money to some other crime syndicates and gangsters. You know, not surprising. You know, a lot of time has passed, but Han is still the smuggler that we first met uh, many years ago. That's right. And just, you know, there's a whole whole long thing. But basically, he owes some guys money. They come to collect. He doesn't have the money. Blah, blah, blah. Shoot out, shoot out. Everybody gets away. And Han and Ray and BB-8 and Finn um, and Chewie... <laughs> get away on the on the Millennium Falcon. Right. They sacrifice the bigger ship and they leave on the Falcon. And at this point, Han says, I'm going to take you to Maz Kanata. She's going to put you in touch with the Resistance. Maz is an acquired taste is what he tells them. Um, and, and basically, you know, just like, I, I'm not going to take you any further, but, you know, Maz will put you in the right direction. That's right. And so he takes them to Maz's place. Maz is... He says she's been running this bar for over a thousand years. So she's a tiny old critter. Um, she probably knew Yoda. She probably knew Yoda when they were both kids, I guess, <laughs> right? Like she and Yoda made a hung out together in high school for all we know. Possibly. Um, 
but uh, she is a lightly force sensitive being, but not um, not a force wielder. Um, and so, you know, they get to her place and um, they meet her. And she says that, you know, she starts talking about the fight of good versus evil and the only fight that's left. And she basically refuses to help them and says Han has to do it. She's like, Han, you need to go home to Leia. Leia misses you. You need to get back in the fight. And Han's like, come on, man, just just help my people out. Right. And then at the same time, Finn says, we can't fight the First Order. We just need to run and we need to get away. And um, so he decides to leave. Uh, Ray kind of goes after him and while she's going after him she seems to hear something and she goes down in the basement of Maz's place starts snooping around and what does she find there? She finds Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. Yeah, which is in a box that sort of calls to her and when she picks it up she has a series of visions that sort of go through some important moments in the life of that saber including the Bespin fight including um, some other lightsaber fights. And then also she sees the future. She sees herself fighting Kylo Ren um, and she sees some other things from the future. And she hears voices, including uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, you've taken your first steps. Right. And this opens up so many questions, which I feel like we never, ever get answered. So that's extremely frustrating. But this is Luke's lightsaber that he loses when he's fighting Vader in... um, the at the at Cloud City, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. On Bespin. So this is the one when Luke gets his hand cut off, the lightsaber's in it, and it falls down the you know the sent the the bottomless pit in Cloud City. Presumably, and I think this is in a comic book or something that I've not personally read, but I've read a synopsis of it, and it's basically the in a similar way to you know Luke falls down that same bottomless pit when he kind of gives up that fight and then he gets sucked down a garbage chute and ultimately he he's kind of gets dropped out and in, into into space um apparently other things that fall down that bottomless pit get sucked into other garbage chutes and the lightsaber and the hand ended up in some other garbage area and someone you know like some ugnod or something salvaged it cuz it looked valuable and then it ended up making its way through the galaxy and Maz got it Right. And as Kevin said, she's, you know, force sensitive, but not a force wielder. So she knows to hold on to these types of things. Yeah, she seems to have a whole room full of random things that are probably also valuable to very specific individuals. Right. And, uh, you know, just to kind of like take a couple steps backwards, you know, when we first meet her, it's kind of your standard cantina scene. So that's, you know, a running theme throughout all of Star Wars that there's all the different creatures there. You know, the good guys, the bad guys. It's just a place for everyone and anyone to get a drink throughout the galaxy. Yeah, it's a it's your standard creature cantina. This one's got kind of reggae music. It's cool. Yeah. So Ray picks up Luke Skywalker uh, or Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, and then, you know, just kind of is like, that's weird that this is calling to me, but I'll hold on to it. Well, actually, no. Remember, she she flat out rejects it. Maz comes to talk to her, and she says, I never want to see this thing again. And she gives it to Maz and, re- and then runs away. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It does take her a little while to yeah, accept it. Yeah, so yeah. she does... She. She insists on the fact that she is supposed to get back to Jakku and wait for her family and that she is no one. And Maz says to her, you kind of already know they're not coming back. And the the family you're looking for is ahead of you, not behind you. And she's just not ready to accept that, even though she kind of knows it to be true. Um, And so as all this is happening, guess what happens? The First Order shows up again. Yeah, those guys. Um, you know, and, and I think one of the things is is that the reason that we're hardly talking about them is that they're just not very interesting. 
Um, we we've met Kylo Ren. We've met this uh, sniveling guy named Hux, who's kind of like a less impressive Tarkin. Um, and and then there's uh, Snoke, who is a less impressive emperor. Yeah, I mean, he's the supreme leader. He appears as a giant hologram, which he appears as a giant hologram of his entire self sitting on a throne. The emperor just appears as a giant floating head, which I personally find way more intimidating. And just Snoke's like, he's not as intimidating as the emperor. I just, I, like all of them, they're all very milquetoast. And like, you know, the even the stormtroopers, I don't know, it just... The First Order just doesn't have the same crisp, straight-up evil, you know, efficient e whatever that the Empire has. And so, you know, they come and they blow up Maz's place because, I don't know, random destruction, I guess, is fun. And, and this is something that I feel like the Empire never really did. The Empire, you know, they did a bunch of, they did a bunch of terrible things, but they were very, they were very tight about it. They didn't just go like blow up some random bar because they were looking for somebody. They would like send stormtroopers in. They would capture the people they want. They'd leave, right? And it just, it, the, the first order feels very sloppy. I, I agree. And, you know, I, again, it, it goes back to their leadership is just not that impressive. They're not that intimidating. And they, you know, may be strong with the dark side of the force, but they're not acting as Sith Lords. So, you know, just this like power grab, that desire to hold on to power, it's not the same as what we saw before um, with Sidious. And, and, you know, I think one of the other things that we also learn with the interaction with Snoke is that Kylo Ren, um, he was referred to at the beginning as, you know, the grandson of Darth Vader. So we didn't know if he was Leia's, son or if he was Luke's son. Well, we wind up learning that he is uh, Han and Leia's son. That's right. So there's a little battle at Maz's place. Um, she gives the lightsaber to Finn to give to Rey eventually. Rey runs off into the forest, sort of with BB-8, um, and she ends up fighting Kylo Ren. She has a blaster. He has his lightsaber. He Force paralyzes her and decides instead of finding BB-8 in the map, he sees he sees through the Force that she has seen the map. So he takes her to his spaceship and leaves. Um, and then um, Leia arrives with uh, a, a group of Resistance X-Wings, including Poe Dameron, who we now find out is not, in fact, dead. Um, and they sort of rescue the uh, Han, Chewie, um, Finn collective and bring them back to the Resistance base. Right. And that um, pretty much brings us to Act 3. And I, I think this is kind of a good point for me to tell you guys why I don't like Kylo Ren. Because we're just going to continue to see it. So his battle with Rey, you know, he just, his heart wasn't really in it. Um, he, he just seemed to be kind of holding back. And then he's got all these like rages that he has every time something doesn't go his way. And he's just like so emotionally angsty. And it's not that he's upset that he's not getting his way. Because, I mean, he is. But I think he's really more upset that he's not as good of a bad guy as he should be. And he's like trying to draw on this power from his grandfather, Darth Vader. And thinks that if he, you know, thinks more about how to be Darth Vader, he'll be a better villain. And he's... He's so angry that he's conflicted between having to choose between the dark side and the light side of the force. And it's not like he's angry that he doesn't have more power, which I think is more of a 
you know, Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader kind of thing is that he wanted the power, he wanted the control. And Kylo Ren doesn't have that. And without that, like, sheer desire for power, he's just not that scary. Yeah, he's almost, I mean, he's got this sort of vibe of like a teenager that wants to rebel against his parents. And he wants to rebel against his parents. His parents are light side guys, so he has to be a dark side guy, but he doesn't really understand why. I think from a storytelling perspective, it's it bothers me because there's a there's a good adage in storytelling that everyone is the hero of their own story, right? And if you look at the hero, I mean, if you look at any of the stories, the emperor feels like he's bringing order to the galaxy and consolidating his own power against the Jedi, right? The, you know, Darth Vader feels like he is also trying to bring order and justice to the galaxy. And even the fall of Anakin Skywalker was about trying to save Padme, which he ironically failed to do. And it's okay to be an ironical failure. um, And you're still the hero of your own story. You know, Han Solo, he was trying to be, you know, a, a smuggler and then he gets sucked into the rebellion and he does the best he can. The idea that somebody wants to be the bad guy in their story but can't manage to be a bad enough bad guy is just very contrary to both like good storytelling and human psychology. Nobody goes out saying, I wish I could be more bad. They go out saying, I wish I could be more powerful or more successful and I don't care about the rules or I care only about myself. But nobody looks at the looks at the dark side or looks at, you know, a thing that they know to be and be like, I can't, I'm, I'm struggling to be bad enough. It's just not believable. And it leads to just a very weird kind of psychosis in this guy. Right. And I mean, I know that there are a lot of people that really like Kylo Ren or thought that he was well cast. I do not like him, nor do I think he was well cast. But this belief that he's supposed to be this extremely strong villain and intimidating and he's, you know, the big bad guy is just not believable to me. I I really can't get behind it. Yeah. That's right. And actually, kind of to reinforce that point, especially in in our broader point about the First Order, we totally skipped over the fact that during Act 2, they fire Starkiller Base, which is some sort of hyper-velocity um, super Death Star thing, and they destroy an entire star system, five or six planets, and the entire New Republic fleet and the entire New Republic government, really with no provocation or for no reason and it's like a non-event. It's very weird. Like the destruction of Alderaan was an impactful event in A New Hope, right? Like the the good guys were approaching. Leia was there. She had a chance to like turn in the rebels. She didn't and she witnessed the destruction. Well, she, she lied, made it look like she was doing that. And then she witnessed the destruction of her homeworld, which was a, like an emotionally impactful event. And it was like, that was like, that was some hardcore evil by Tarkin and Vader. And it was, you know, it was impressive. In its, in its like diabolical nature and demonstrated the power of the Death Star. These guys were like, eh, we're just going to blow up the New Republic. We're not really going to like, we're not going to do it for any reason, I guess, except that they're there and we have this thing and we're just going to fire it off and do it. And like, it really had no impact on the story at all. Like we have no investment in the New Republic. We don't even really know who they are. We get one screenshot of like, or one quick shot of like a person watching their world get blown up. And that's kind of all there is to it. And it's just, it's, it's a, a massive destructive effort that has zero impact on anything. Right. And it's not, it just, it doesn't make any sense that the First Order has amassed such a large army and so many resources while some other government was still in effect. Um, and that the, it wasn't any kind of manipulation like how we had of, you know, Palpatine as Chancellor, you know, just getting more and more emergency powers granted to him. It's just, it, it's a... Uh, 
it's a non sequitur. It just it's thrown in there just to you know eliminate any questions as to what actually happened to you know the republic. Yeah, it's very it's it's weird and, and kind of unnecessary. And the only reason it's in there is to demonstrate that this weapon exists, so that we can have what is Act Three, which is you know the discovery and destruction of. Uh, Starkiller base. Right. And, and so this is very much like A New Hope where we destroyed the Death Star. So, you know, they, they've got to look at the plans. They've got to have the whole meeting of the mines at the headquarters. So I, I think, you know, one of the nice things is we see Leia, um, you know, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. But she, she had a tough go of it, uh, you know, leading up to when she was cast in this film and, and looks like a war hardened uh, general so you know she she certainly uh plays the part very well um and her reunion with han is emotional and also very challenging too yeah i mean it would appear that after um you know after their son ben turned to the dark side and luke disappeared um han felt like leia was you know didn't want to see him and didn't you know and 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 whatever so he left leia and, you know, and, and so this is sort of the first time they've seen each other in some amount of time and the first time that they've seen really the destruction that their son is is bringing to a place because they're, you know, you know, Han says he saw him there. And it's a it's an awkward reunion. Um, Leia is feisty as ever. Han's sort of apologetic, but not. And it, it's, you know, they, they they play off like the, the divorced couple pretty well, honestly. Yeah, they do divorced pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they go back to the resistance base and they, you know, they do the plan. And and it's funny the way that the whole thing is, is laid out is, is almost in the way that we're talking about it. They, they, you know, they bring up a picture of Starkiller base and they're like, it's huge. And everyone's like, oh man. And Han's like, yeah, so what? It's big. We, we find a way to blow it up. That's what we do. So come on, let's go guys. Like, what's the thing? And somebody's like, there's a thermal oscillator. He's like, great. Yeah. Let's go hit the thermal oscillator. Who knows how to do that? And, you know, Finn says, well, I used to work there. And he's like, great, let's bring this guy along and we'll figure it out. And he's like, I got a way to get through the shields. Don't worry about it. And it was the whole planning thing is just sort of like rushed. And they're like, yeah, 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 we got a whole thing. Let's just go. We're just going to go blow up the thing. It's fine. Right. They realize that we've already seen this movie before when it was called A New Hope. And so they just want to get to the action. And what we learn about Finn is that he is basically lying about having information about the star killer base like he's worked on it but you know he's not very knowledgeable really about it uh you know every uh infantry has people that work every type of job he actually worked in the sanitation group so you know like he, he's not really well versed in all of the the plans as to how they can destroy this but he puts on a good show convinces everybody he's got key information should be part of the um mission and you know there we go we also learn poe is alive and he's reunited with BB-8 and, you know, there's a, you know, puppy relationship brought back as well. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, so they, they got to go back and, and get Ray. Yeah. And that's really Finn's motivation to get himself assigned on on the rescue op is he wants to rescue Ray. Um, and so and, and Han and Chewie also do. But they said, you know, they agree that their priority is blowing up the base, which is smart. And Han gets a secondary mission from Leia. Which is? To bring back their son, and we learn his name's Ben. That's right, and she and and he kind of he kind of says, "Well, if Luke couldn't turn him, what could I do?" And she says, "Luke's a Jedi. You're his father." And so she says, "If you can find him, bring him home." And so yeah, so they go off to Star Killer Base, and so we end up in our sort of in our uh, our classic um, multi tier 
big battle, right? So we've got, you know, sort of the, there's, there's sort of three stages to this one, right? We have a space battle, which is Poe and his squadron trying to blow up the oscillator. We've got um, a hero ground fight, which is Han, Chewie, and um, Finn trying to break in, take down the shields, and then uh, help blow up the oscillator. And then we have the hero fight, which is Rey, who, after she's sort of been, you know, interrogated and force mind battles, she has like a little force mind battle with Kylo. She starts to realize that she can use the force. She doesn't know what it is, but she knows she can she can do certain things. And she gets the stormtrooper guarding her to unlock her restraints, leave the, the cell open and drop his weapon. That stormtrooper, by the way, happens to be Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was shooting a movie on an adjacent set, and he kind of bumped into some folks, and he was like, hey, I want to be in Star Wars. And like, here, throw on this Stormtrooper armor, and you can be the Stormtrooper. And he's like, cool, fun. Yeah, that would be cool. How come no one's asked us to be in Star Wars movies? I don't think we worked on an adjacent set to a Star Wars movie. All right, we need to rethink our life choices. Agreed. All right, let's get back to it. Um, so basically this rescue mission to bust out Ray, she didn't need them. Um, but you know, what we wind up finding out is, uh, Chewie gets separated, Ray and Finn get reunited and Han, uh, sees Kylo Ren. Yeah. And so there, I, I chuckled because once again, we have a confrontation on a bridge over a bottomless pit. Always bottomless pit architecture. Always. And so, um, you know, Han, in his best uh, dad voice, shouts, Ben, get over here, <laughs> right? And uh, and then has a little confrontation with his son, tells him to take the helmet off. And Kylo goes into this sob story pitch about how he's conflicted and he doesn't know what he, he, he wishes he was strong enough to do what he needs to do, but he's not sure he's strong enough to do it. And well, 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 yeah. I wish I was a bad or bad guy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hate this guy. Sorry. And you know, yeah. And JJ does a good job with this whole thing with like blue light on him and red light on him and like light and then dark and then light and then dark. And then just as the last minute, Han says, I'll do anything to help you. And Kylo hands him his lightsaber. And then just as like the sun is sucked away into Starkiller base and it turns dark, he turns on his lightsaber and stabs Han Solo through the chest and kills him. This was the worst. So I'm in the theater and I basically screamed out, no! And I think I wasn't the only one who did that. Yeah, you weren't. <laughs> and, 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 it, and you know, it, it completes the Han Solo as Obi-Wan Kenobi arc, sort of. It um, does, very much. It, uh, you know, it's... If he were better at being a bad guy, it would make sense. Like I'm sacrificing my father to complete my journey to the dark side. If there was a better motivation, right? In the same way that, you know, Anakin sacrificed Mace Windu to get the power to save Padme and then pledged himself to Darth Sidious. That through a whole series of things that we've already talked about actually makes a lot of sense. In this case, this guy for no reason sacrifices his father and Han Solo uh, to become a little bit more dark sidey for no particular motivation except that he's an angsty teenager and it bugs me. Yeah, but he's not an angsty teenager. He's like almost 25 or 30. Yeah. 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 And then upon seeing this, and this is actually like probably the saddest. So Han Solo dying sad. The saddest thing in the whole movie is that the that Chewbacca witnesses this and shoots Kylo with his bowcaster. And if you think about it, and I've seen cartoons and other things this effect, like this is a kid that he grew up with, right? I mean, like 
Chewbacca was like his uncle, right? And his giant furry uncle. And he's known this guy since he was a kid. He knew him when he was, you know, when he was Ben Solo. He saw him fall. And now he sees him murder his his best friend and his own father. And Chewie's so enraged that he shoots his nephew. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty harsh. And then he shoots him kind of in the stomach and does not kill him, which is pretty impressive because that bowcaster is strong. Um, and then... Uh, and then Chewie mashes a button and blows up the room that they're in and then runs away. Uh, Ray and Finn run away into the forest and Chewie, Ray, and Finn are all trying to find their way back to the Millennium Falcon. Right, because our friends uh, led by Poe Dameron are still up in space trying to blow up Starkiller Base. And so, you know, we have the final ground scene, which is a fight in which uh, Finn fights Kylo with lightsabers um and ray fights as well and, and so you know it it just kind of shows like that I, I mean i i guess kylo ren is you know he's strong with the dark side of the force as far as you know being able to fight both a trained soldier and then someone else who's force sensitive but he doesn't actually win either battle truly no i mean he manages to defeat finn and he sort of cuts him across the back He's about to defeat Rey, and he says to her, you can learn the Force, you need a teacher. And it seems like at that moment, she remembers that the Force is a thing, and she meditates, focuses for a second, and then she just whoops his ass. I mean, she she just takes it to him, she beats him, and ends up smacking him in the face with her lightsaber, but not killing him, and leaving him downed on the planet. And just as she does, um, of course... Um, uh, Poe blows up the oscillator. The planet starts to implode. The ground opens up between her and Kylo Ren, so she can't finish him off. And Chewie shows up in the Millennium Falcon. The one cool thing about the fight between her and Kylo is that her lightsaber style is kind of unique. She's obviously never fought with a lightsaber before. She learned how to fight with the staff, but she takes a very aggressive posture. Um, and she basically, she uses the the lightsaber almost as a stabbing weapon in a way that there's only one other person that I've ever seen fight that way, and that's Darth Sidious. And, I, you know, we'll, time will tell if that has anything to do with anything, um, but it was a really interesting stylistic choice. Um, Kylo Ren's lightsaber fighting style, because he has a crossguard lightsaber, he fights more like a broadsword than a fencing sword like, uh, like everybody else. So he's got these kind of big heavy whacks, and she's got these sort of aggressive stabs, and it's a really interesting sort of combination uh, fighting style. I agree. And I do question the lightsaber choice that Kylo Ren made because it crackles because he's not quite strong enough with the dark side of the force to keep his lightsaber in check. But then he's also got this tiny little T at the bottom that really only seems to get in the way. So I don't understand why he would do that. Yeah, it's it's uh, apparently it's based on an older sort of less refined design where you need those little cross guards to ex to to send out like extra energy because uh, the the main blade can't contain all of it um and so those are sort of like they're almost like heat sinks or exhausts um and yeah it's it's a very inefficient lightsaber both to to operate and to use it's really not great but it but it's it's a good stand-in for his like sort of not great general character and force powers right so basically 
our good guys, they escape on the Falcon. Our bad guys don't get killed. They somehow manage to escape. Uh, Poe blows up the Starkiller base, and they wind up back at headquarters. And then our good buddy R2-D2, who's basically been in hibernation, he wakes up. Um, and BB-8 and him, they get together, and they show the rest of the gang back at the Resistance headquarters uh, the completed map. R2-D2 has the other part of it. That's right. And at some point earlier, C-3PO had said something like R2-D2's been in low power mode since Master Luke went away, and it would appear that Rey coming to the base has somehow woken him up. Yeah, you know, the movie's a Force Awakens, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then we get to sort of the epilogue, right? So this isn't really a full fourth fourth act, but it's just a, a little epilogue after the battle. Ray hugs Leia, which they've never met before. And so that sets up a lot of questions about why they've kind of got the feels. Um, well, they both loved Han. I, I think Ray thought that this was going to be the like mentor employer. And, you know, Leia was like, that was my love. So, yeah, you know, and, and they're mourning together. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah. And um, and so then, you know, after a little bit of downtime, Finn is in a medical capsule. Ray says she'll see him again. And then she and Chewie board the Millennium Falcon to follow the map. Right. And uh, they, they fly and they fly and they fly and they get to this beautiful planet. And she gets out. She starts hiking. And who does she see? She sees Luke Skywalker alone on this island and she has his lightsaber and she reaches it out and she hands it to him and then the movie ends right so why do you think that we didn't need this we didn't need this it was completely unnecessary the only reason that was in there was so that they could say that mark hamill was in this movie so that we could think the whole time that there was going to be some luke skywalker in it and it was just it was just an unnecessary tease like it didn't add any value to it we already knew where he was. We already knew once she had the map, she could get to him. And if they weren't going to actually have interaction, it's just bad storytelling and super annoying to me. It, like, it was just really frustrating to have Luke Skywalker in the movie and do literally nothing. Like he has two expressions on his face and a helicopter shot, and then they cut away. They very easily could have ended it with R2-D2 and BB-8 saying, we've got the map. And they say, you know, now we're going to go find Luke Skywalker. Dun, 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 And then, you know, cut to music. We really didn't need this scene at all. And it just it just didn't add any value to the movie and just added frustration. Fair, fair. Because um, we'll, we'll talk about this at length. Uh, you know, basically the next movie is where we really get to see Luke Skywalker. And, you know, it it's, doesn't bring the level of satisfaction that we're hoping for. But... You know, on the whole, this movie, very satisfying. It kind of hits all the highlights that all of the people who love the original trilogy wanted to see. It's got some extensions to appeal to people who this was their introduction to Star Wars and then had to watch the original trilogy to, you know, learn what it was all about. Um, but, you know, I, I think that what's really interesting is how they kind of loop in those characters that we love Chewbacca, Han Solo, uh, Leia, C-3PO, R2-D2, and they're really in the background for the most part. But Han has too big of a role, and so, of course, he, he does have to die um, to just make way for our new characters. And, and that sets up, you know, the, the second movie. Uh, the relationships that we see in this movie, there's really no love interest other than kind of the, you know, post-love relationship of Han and Leia and possibly some kind of setup for Finn. 
Yeah, it seems like there's there's like teases of Finn having feelings for Ray. Ray not really reciprocating. I think there's a little glimmer when like Ray meets Poe or something at one point that it seems like there could be something, but there's like really nothing. There's nothing really established as far as as far as relationships go. There's a little bit of like um, Kylo Ben saying that he wants to be Ray's teacher or mentor or something, and so there's maybe some interaction there, but she's obviously not interested in that. So Ray's definitely a very go it alone kind of independent woman. Um, a lot of other people have relationships, but there, but there's nothing really, there's nothing really super strong. Just a lot of like new friendships are made. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Han and Leia are sort of the, the older divorced couple, um, and, and play that off pretty well. C3PO and R2D2 are still buds. That's nice. Yeah. I I mean, except, you know, like if one of your buds has been in a coma for a while. Yeah. But when he wakes up, they're happy to see each other. Oh yeah. That's a good point. I mean, R2D2 in the first like 10 seconds sasses C3PO and he gives him guff, but that's, you know, pretty standard for those two. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess the other aspect of relationships is that there's the whole family relationship. And, you know, I, I don't think we really identify family so much besides father and son in the original trilogy. And maybe brother and sister towards, you know, Return of the Jedi. But in this, we're immediately talking about an abandoned family because ray has been an orphan. Finn taken from his family. Poe, all we know about his family is basically the resistance. And then Maz telling Ray that her family is in front of her, not behind her. So, you know, I, I think it, it's about looking at different dynamics of family because there is a father-son relationship with Han and Kylo and that is failed. I, I mean, it, it's just straight up failed. And so, you know, we have to look at other aspects of family as opposed to the defining relationship of family in the original trilogy, you know, Luke, I am your father. So yeah, that's true. And there's a little bit of kind of Ray seeing Han as a bit of a father figure or something or, or some sort of mentor. Um, and then that makes it all the more impactful when he dies. Um, and Kylo even sort of taunts her about that, um, saying he wasn't a good father to me. He wasn't going to be a good father to you. Um, and, and yeah, but yeah, there's a, as usual, a lot of dysfunctional relationships. I think probably the, the, the solid rock in all of this is Chewbacca who, you know, loses sort of his best friend and, and in a lot of ways, his brother, and then sort of takes on Ray as a, as a new family member. I agree. And I think we should end this kind of on a high note here is that there's something funny when we finally meet Maz, um, you know, she asks, where's my boyfriend? And she's talking about Chewbacca. Now, to the best of our knowledge, Chewbacca has a wife and a son back on his home planet of Kashyyyk. But yet he's got a girlfriend in Maz. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a legitimate like a girlfriend girlfriend or just like she just kind of digs him or, or whatever. Maz looks like the kind of woman that may have had a serious fling with Chewbacca. It's possible, although it'd be it'd be just, you know, wild. He's seven feet tall and she's about three and a half, so You know, love doesn't look at size. It doesn't look at color or size or planets or species. It just is. Indeed. So, yeah, but no, uh, that Maz calls Chewbacca her boyfriend. She does. That yeah. is true. She's got a bad for him. She does. So on that note, I love you. I know.